pull up a bar stool. All right, I've got John Robinson, my business manager, backup CEO, back on the show. And we're going to talk about entrepreneurship, but specifically your business model. And we're going to go back quite a bit looking at my business model and how it transformed the way it did and a whole bunch of questions that uh, you should be asking yourself as you're putting it together or making adjustments. So you're going to enjoy this one. We might go a little long, but it's value-packed. So sit back, relax, pop a bottle. Let's do it. Hey everybody, John here from JohnLumer.com and John Lumer Digital on Facebook. Here with another edition of the Social Media Pubcast where each week we invite you to the virtual pub. And we get drunk on entrepreneurship and all of the challenges that we face. Bringing back John Robinson, JR, my backup CEO, business manager. How's it going, JR? Fantastic. After another NFL week, Bears win. So that's a good start to my week. Yeah, let's, Does Green Bay win? Let's, <laughs> let's ignore whatever you're talking about right now. Uh, so, and and I, we were talking behind the scenes, too, to uh, the PHC entrepreneurs community. Uh, for anyone who, you know, you deal with, I think I've learned, I've gotten calluses from going through bad stuff where it drives you crazy and you pull your hair out and you lose your mind when it comes to the business. I've gotten to the point where it's just like, what are you going to do? So we had uh, this scheduled to stream in the PHC Entrepreneurs Group at 2 o'clock my time. And then uh, JR got on. We were about to start it. It was not working from my end. And it turns out the internet connection was not working properly. No upload whatsoever. Had to reboot the uh, the modem. Seemed to be good to go. But I think, JR, you can attest there would be a time where I would have lost my mind. Yeah, you you were you would I would say worried. You would have a high intensity level worry. And it's nice that it's medium to low intensity now about worrying about things we can't control. But the question then becomes because there, there's a middle ground in there somewhere. So either you you go crazy and you're you're all stressed out about all these things you can't do anything about. I think at the other end it's like you just don't care, no big deal, whatever. And then you ignore the fact that maybe I could have controlled that. I don't know. Maybe this time I should be calling maybe because I have a bad modem. Maybe there's something that is within my control that I sh- I should be doing. Because uh, we've had a little bit of this lately, and uh, we've got training starting tomorrow, so I'm crossing my fingers. That's not going to be an issue. All right, what are we going to talk about today, JR? Well, what I am really excited to talk about, which is really inspiration, or inspiration came from a week of conversations about why should I focus on my business model instead of focusing on a business plan. So I figured let's just kind of talk about our business model today 
and how we think about it and some of the places one can go because i will tell you for all listeners focus on your business model first your business plan always changes it's always moving and i think it's a lot of energy wasted if you don't really know what your business model is mm-hmm. so that's what we're going to talk about today yeah so for anyone who's not clear doesn't understand the history of of my business it's evolved quite a bit so in the very beginning it was just all about being consulting for others um and after and i did that i don't know two years maybe i think it was two (laughs) years and um after about the first year or near the end of the first year i created my first digital product so then i created so it was static digital products. So, you know, the typical um, online courses where you've got modules and videos and whatnot and I over-delivered and there would be like 40 videos and go through and, and, and watch. Um, all about, and Power Editor was the first thing I ever did a course on. So that was my early model. And the pro- there's there were big problems with both of them. Um, doing, you know, consulting for others, doing ads for others. Um, I always say that your best case is to have someone on your team who works for your company, who understands your brand, your voice, who's invested in it, um, doing advertising, as opposed to having someone else speak for you create the imagery, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then I think it just becomes fake. Um, they re- reuse copy and imagery that they use for other clients, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I never had really the, pa- the passion, first of all, to consult for others. Um, second, one of the reasons being, it takes up a lot of time. So unless you get paid handsomely, um, and clients, all, you always end up doing more for them than you anticipate. And you get, don't get paid enough to, for all of those hours. Um, and ultimately, I, you know, online, you know, my content started to take off. So I was like, well, wait a minute. I can either limit myself to helping these, this handful of people or I can help a very large group of people and focus on them because this was also consulting was taking my attention away from all of these other people I could be helping. So that took me to the, the courses, but those were static. So we'd have a big surge in sales when I launched it. Um, I wouldn't, you know, be, I wouldn't promote it constantly nonstop 24 seven. So there'd be that big surge and die out. And then it also became obsolete because Facebook changes things so fast. So those are the big issues with that initial model. It takes us to where we are today. Nice. All right. So here's where I want to go with the conversation. I think there's seven, seven steps, seven destinations, seven points to consider as you look at your business model design. And I'm going to take you through each one, John, and you're going to kind of share what shows up for you when I talk about each one. Does that work? Okay. Sweet. All right. First thing, we're going to talk about customers. And there are customers that 
some business models believe, and we'll say business model as a person, we know a business model isn't a person, but the people behind a business model believe that they want to hold their customers hostage from leaving them. <laughs> That's what the, some business models they think about. Is, do I want to hold them hostage or do I want my customers to have the freedom to leave anytime they want? Not trying to lock them in, giving them, you know, full autonomy. So that'll be the ranges. Those will be each of the polar extremes. So we have one extreme of we're going to lock you in, make it really difficult for you to leave. And then we have it to where you can switch and go to wherever you want at any time. Where do you stand on, on those edges? Um, I want to give you the, the ability to lock in it to a point. Okay. If you are are convinced that uh, this is right for you, so if after a certain amount of time you're like, "Oh man, I get so much value out of this, I can save money by going to an annual plan as opposed to spending month to month," and I know I'm going to be in this in a year from now, um, I want that to be available to you. The flip side, if you jump in and you decide it's not right for you and you're like, you should be doing this, you should be doing that, and you should be doing this, and we don't, we're not right for you and you should have the right to, to leave whenever you want. Um, so, I mean, I, I want to reward loyalty and reward people who want to stick around, um, but those, I'm not for everybody, certainly. Yeah, I, I, I'm calling it almost like a hybrid lock-in uh, or good lock-in versus bad lock-in. I think, when was the last time? You traveled not too long ago, didn't you, out of town? Yeah, I went to Vermont. Did you pack more than one bag that you had to pay for on your airline? No, I didn't. I didn't have to pay for any bags. Now, so that that in a lot of other Airlines, I don't know which airline you flew, but in most airlines, they charge you for a bag or for a second bag to... I only did carry-on, yeah. Oh, that's why. So you did carry-on. So whoever the carrier was, if you did include a bag that they you know, took and stored underneath, that would be revenue. So let's just say it's $20. There's a sense of good revenue versus bad revenue. And... I know that some airlines who don't charge at all for the first two bags, they believe that's how they're going to stand out. And a lot of customers who switch, they switch because they don't want to pay that bad revenue. They feel locked in a little bit. So I'm going into this distinction between there's a way to lock in customers in a good way and there's a way to lock them in in a bad way. And what I heard you say is, I enjoy locking customers in in a good way when they want to stick with us and we give them the price point for an annual subscription versus month to month that saves them money or they get that locked in on their rate, you know, for the next two, three, five, ten years, whatever it is. Does that make sense? Is that how you, you look at locking in? Is that you want to stay away from contracts and penalty fees and all the stuff associated with switching. Yeah. And I think we're pretty flexible too. So, uh, you know, if something happened where someone's like, Oh, 
I don't need this anymore kind of thing midway through in an annual. You know, again, we we don't want you to reg- regret that, that you signed up with us and you had this membership. We want to make sure that the, the people who this is right for are, are using it, who are using it and in the community and, at, and adding value, not just a bunch of ghosts. So does this sound like as you think about designing, let's just call it policy, is it more in line with the policy you'd like to experience with other when you purchase anything, is it the same way you want to be treated? Is that how you created this? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think I think it's a combination of that, though, and also recognizing um, the value of time. And is it's people who are unhappy. It's it's not worth anyone's time to go back and forth f- for you know number of emails and whatnot to try to convince them that this is going to be right for them. Or if someone wants to get out of something, it's not worth the time and energy trying to just say, oh, no, you're stuck. And then, you know, we got to deal with that disaster of, of them being upset for the next how long. So it's a matter of just understanding, first of all, you know, the type of uh, experience I want just drop something else. But also, um, it's a matter of uh, valuing time and making sure we're dedicated, as a staff, dedicating our time where it's needed. I'm going to add worry into this because I would believe that as time has gone on, that you've worried less about customers who switch because you believe more that they're not our customers. Oh, yeah. Because so that's why we don't, for those that are designing business models that are like, let me make it to where they're locked in for years and hard for them to, to switch and all that. You might not really want them to let stay. them go. Let yeah, there, them go. there was a, we had a new guy in one of our memberships uh, within the past month. And I could tell from the first, actually it was the second message that this wasn't going to work. And really the first was questionable because it was this long message, all these details, help me. And he got a whole bunch of help. A bunch of people put in some, some thoughts, t- invested in him, trying to help him out. Then he posts again, I didn't get the help I wanted. So mm-hmm. is this the way it's going to be kind of thing? <laughs> and at that point, we should have jumped in and said, this isn't right for you. Mm-hmm. We'll refund you. See you later. Yeah. Um, but instead, I think we tried to convince them that hey, this is what you should expect. This and that. It's you know it's gonna be, you can get some value this way and that way. Tried to like coach them along. Like these are these are some recommendations. And I get this most value out of this. Stuck around for a few weeks. Shocker, he canceled. You know it's like well did we just waste three weeks or whatever. I mean, I feel like we did, uh, at least not three entire weeks, but the time we dedicated to him, we pretty much wasted time. Yeah. So that's just one of those things you learn over the years that you can stress out about those people or you can show them the door, not in a rude way, but like, you don't need to be here. Let's go. Let's go this yeah. way. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, so that was the first one. The first one we talked about customers. The second one, second topic, revenues. 
and we'll we'll play the edges. We'll, we'll call the edges. So one edge of revenue is 100% of my sales are transactional, all transaction sales. And then the, on the other edge, 100% of my sales are automatically recurring revenues. So talk to me about that. Auto, recurring revenues, transactional sales, and kind of the journey that you've been on with that. Yeah, so that's one of the things you know, I talked about, the issues that I had with um, courses when it was just a static course. So I get that surge in revenue initially, but you know these people are using this course and they could be using it for months at a time. And um, that revenue would disappear. And I wouldn't, I, I wasn't in a constant 24 7 mode of promoting this course. So, other than that initial launch, sales would drop significantly. Over a few months, the course would become obsolete because Facebook made a bunch of changes. And there goes the money. So, as opposed to something like a membership where they are paying on a monthly basis and you start to learn, you know, your retention rate, how many are going to stick around, how many may not. So you have an expectation of this revenue that's becoming every single month, which is vastly preferred in my opinion. I mean, we still do these courses as well, um, but uh, they're live courses and when they're done, they're done. And you can, if you want to watch replays later, if you didn't buy the original course, you can go join PHC and watch all the replays. So, um, yeah, we've definitely switched to more of a, a membership model where it's recurring revenue, uh, which I think makes for a much healthier and predictable bottom line because revenues don't go, don't go like that for us anymore. It's just, yeah. you know, we kind of know what to expect. And it, it does have a sense of, I don't want to call it locked in either, but it feels a little like you use the word predictable. And those that have transactional business models, there's a, there are a lot of work. It's a lot of work, a lot more marketing for transactional business models than there is for monthly rec uh, automatically recurring revenues. Because more, what you're doing more on that end is paying attention to your customers and trying to create a lot more value so that they are happy and they stay and they tell a bunch of other people. When you're more of a transactional model, you're always searching for transactions. That's all it is, is transaction, transaction, transaction versus relationship, relationship, relationship. So that's what shows up for me as I listen to you and as I think about our business model. Well, what I also found with the, that transactional model is unreasonable expectations. Oh, yeah. Right? So you'd have people who sign up for this course in 2012. And two years later, they check back in and they're like, why is this outdated? Right. Right? And like, you bought something two years ago. Spent well, I don't know how much we'll say it was $147. I'm not sure what we were charged at that. Spent $147 on a course, like 40 videos in it, ton of value. And you're checking back two years later, 
and expecting it to still continually to continue to have updates to it. So you're basically saying for $147, you know, over two years, do the math there. I don't even know, but you're paying you're basically paying for a membership is what you're suggesting by continuing to to force me to to, to work for you with this product on an ongoing basis, which was insane. But some people, and I even say this won't be updated. This, this is what it is. So get the value out of it you can now. As opposed to what we're doing now, like we have live trainings. So no one expects we're going to update those. We have everything's and PHCs built around a community and, and webinar, web, live webinars and live trainings and this and that. There's that expectation. So people have reasonable expectations. And since you're paying for a membership, you know, uh, putting in a little extra work is okay. Um, whereas opposed to that one course where I just it felt it to be completely unreasonable. Like that. All right. So the next thing, this idea of earning versus spending. And this is around how you incur costs. So I'll give you the edges. I incur 100% of my costs before earning revenues. And then there's, I earn 100% of my revenues. What, let, wait, let me say that. I incur the cost before I earn the revenues. And then I earn the revenues before incurring the cost. You got the difference? Yeah. So, so for example, if you're a consultant, and you bill for the upcoming month, you're getting the money first. And right. you're not having, you're getting the money up front versus having to spend the time and what have you. Or if you wait to through the end of the month and you've already delivered value, all services, what have you, your costs, your labor costs, and then you get the money on the back end. So that's, that's two ways to look at your cost of good soul, because that's really what it is. It's like, do I want to make the money first or do I want to pay for it first? I know that was confusing to state that what shows up for you and how you, because some people have to build a website first. You have to do right. it. I mean, I think what shows up for me is like the amount you're investing in, right? Build, building your website and driving traffic and mm -hmm. building your email list and your social media audiences. And should you be doing that all up front and incurring all those costs before you start making money? Um, I mean, I, I see it as an ongoing process that you should be doing those things while uh, you're selling products. You don't need to do X before Y. Uh, just the results that you so like the amount you put in advertising for example I mean the, so the amount you get out of sales in the end will be related to how much you're investing in getting the word out how much you're you're writing content creating content how much you're uh, building your email list and spending on advertising and all that upfront cost um, so it's always been a, a mixture though I think for me yeah, it is. And I mean, it's something that's always going to evolve because mm, I think when you're designing prototypes, you're going to be spending money. And let's hypothetically say that you've developed a prototype for 
a whiteboard that you use for your coaching and leading of your baseball team. This is actually something John has done. It's awesome. What, all right, tell everybody what this awesomeness is because this is a perfect example of how you could spend a little bit of money for a prototype or you could roll out into producing a thousand of these things before making one sale. Yeah, and it, it's probably it's probably good that I didn't do that. Right. So, um, so tell the stories because I know this is so over I, everyone's head right now. Yeah, so I've been coaching for a long time, but a couple of years ago, I wanted to create this a, a teaching a teaching tool uh, to make l learning um, baseball responsibilities something that was more interactive. So it's not just a matter of standing up there and telling them things. It's like, okay, we've got this whiteboard. It's got, mag it's got a field on it. Got magnets for each of the positions. This is a situation. This is where the balls hit. Where's everybody going to go? Now, you, you, everybody has their own position. You move your, your magnet, and then we're going to talk about what you did. So that was the initial 1.0. Just a really, like, $30 whiteboard, magnetic whiteboard. I drew the field on it, and it cost me very little. 2.0. I've I've gone all out. I hope Lisa's not listening. His I'm wife. Nah, she knows. She handles the finances. But she's gone. I, I've gone all out. Uh, got a really nice whiteboard, big one, four feet by three feet, and uh, got the got a big four foot by three foot magnet to put on top of it. That's a design that I want. It's the field and everything that we want. Uh, but anyway, there's a whole bunch of new steps to it, and it's not it's now a polished product. That said, with each of these 1.0 and 2.0, I'm real and and as I'm using it for the team, I'm realizing things I would do differently. So if I just like, oh, this is a good idea, I'm gonna invest in creating a thousand of these and then sell them, and then five people buy it and they're like, dude, this is unusable because of X. Like, whoops. <laughs> Or I could save money if I don't spend so much on this this thing that could be a lot cheaper um, and it'd still be valuable and I could charge less. Uh, so there's lots of things that, that I've learned from doing 1.0 and 2.0 of this whiteboard. I'm, I'm glad you didn't because we'd be singing, we got 99 boards and the sale isn't one. Oh, yeah. There For anyone who's in PHC Entrepreneurs, see my see. messy office and see it back there. Yes. So, so to kind of close a loop on that, I think that there's a way to develop a little bit of money for prototypes and for just getting launched or getting the awareness or word out. And then there's a way to sell without having to create a huge inventory because you can pre-sell i mean john have you done that have you done any like hey i've been thinking about this instead of producing it and then finding out later like you shouldn't have thought about that yeah and actually that's how i got over the hump to produce my first training course because uh, i had so many fears they were holding me back like oh no one's gonna buy it and like i don't know how much time i should spend on it um, and then uh, so I just sent out an email to my list that was I don't know 5,000 people or so at the time and had a PayPal button on it and I was like you can get it for half off yeah it was 73.50 get it for half off buy it right now 
and um, prepay, and I'll, I'll produce it for you here in the next few weeks. Um, and then that was, that helped me either feel confident that I could spend a whole bunch of time on it because I got a lot of people paying for it and it's going to be worth my time. Or it could be a matter of, I'm not going to spend less time on it, still make a good product, but I'm not going to knock myself out. Or you could say, two people bought it, here's your money back, let's try something else. So um, absolutely, you know, doing it that way, uh, I think especially for any entrepreneur, business owner, just trying to feel out the market and what people will buy, it's a good idea. And you can give them some sort of reward for that, for prepaying, um, by, you know, giving them a big discount. The upstairs neighbor's dog is on. <laughs> Did you hear barking? Yeah, a little bit. Not, not okay. All right. Well, that's what I'm hearing. So I hear it really loud because we had a UPS guy come here. All right. So next thing. So we've gone through customers, what kind of revenue model we want, how we want to spend versus earn. Next thing is cost structure. And we'll stay on the edges again. One set of cost structure is that my business model is at least 30% higher than those who do this, say competitors. And then on the other edge is my cost structure is at least 30% lower than my competitors. Now, and uh, an example that I have, I'm involved in a project for acupuncture and we want to put acupuncture in the world to where people can, it's affordable, accessible and convenient. And we could pick a location that has $11,000 a month of rent. And then we can pick a location of 4,000. And I'm the kind of guy that does not, if I want a business model to work, I want my cost structures to be as low as possible. So John, what's your thinking about cost structure for you? Are you the kind of guy that spends $5,000 on a whiteboard? I'm kidding. That's not what you spent. So but, you're, you're asking how much I will spend on things or how much I'm going to yeah, price things? Yeah, no, cost. Spend on things. Cost structure. Are you, are you trying to, to get the most expensive talent? Are you trying to get the most expensive uh, hosting service? Wink, wink, because we have a hosting service issue this month that we're trying to figure out how much we should be spending. So how do you how do you decide on how, how to spend? And matter of fact, use the hosting analogy or what we're going through right now. Yeah, so hosting, and I've gone through various um, hosts, uh, website hosts in the past. So I'll give you give an example. In the, in the very beginning, I think what was it Bluehost we used, which was like ten dollars a month. Uh, Might have been less than that. And once you know it, it was worth about ten dollars a month. Uh, because we got a decent amount of traffic and the website was slow, website would crash. It was ridiculous. And then I ended up signing up with um, uh, Synthesis, which comparatively was way more expensive. Um, and I think I even got a good deal and I was spending $225 a month. And uh, But hey, it, it was far more valuable. And now, Synthesis got it bought out. They're getting shut down. And the people at WP Engine were trying to get me to spend 
you know, one thousand per month at minimum. But there's this other one we recommend that's sixteen hundred dollars a month. So it's going from two hundred twenty-five dollars to uh, per month to sixteen hundred dollars per month. It better shoot gold out, you know. I mean, <laughs> because that's ridiculous. But point being is this: um, I do see the value. Um, I do understand. I see the value of spending more. I do understand the psychology as well of price uh, because I am definitely not out, out there looking for what's the cheapest option. Um, and the truth is, oftentimes when I I see my option, see my options out there, something that costs a little bit more but is reasonable. A lot of times I'll go that way just because I'm like. Well, and does it have all these features I might end up needing and this and that? Um, depends, right? Because there's certain things where, um, um, where it's like these two things do the exact same thing. Well, it doesn't really, I'm not going to pick one that's twice as, costs twice as, as much. I would say uh, a lot of times, sometimes with staff and any kind of service, and they're like, we'll do it for free. We'll do it for Ten dollars, you know, and you're like you really become skeptical of, of that type of thing. Like any type of online product, like anything where it's just ultra crazy cheap, and it's the same thing I think about when I price my own products, which I try to do in more of a middle ground. I don't want to be too cheap because I'm trying to attract a certain audience, uh, not just to buy it, but because I know that my audience is someone who's already in deeply invested in Facebook ads and this and that. They're not pinching pennies necessarily looking for what's the cheapest option. Um, so I understand the, the rule of psychology there. Yeah, and for those that are thinking about cost structure, if you want to extend the life of your business model, be as cost conscious as possible. I'm not saying cheap. Not saying go with the most expensive stuff, but if you want to start something and you don't want to keep going into your pockets to fund it each month, be really conscious of, of your costs. Yeah, and there's a, there's a balance because what is the cost to getting something that doesn't do the job very well? Yeah. Meaning, you know, what's the cost ultimately to your business? So like for me, what was the cost to my business by using $10 a month hosting? You know, how much business did I lose as a result of that? I probably lost quite a bit. And how much my time did I lose because the site was getting shut down and things like that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things to think about um, when you invest. And I think I've overdone it at times. I, I think you just want to find a, a middle ground where, you pay for what you need um, and a reasonable cost. But I, I, you know, I think it's a bad idea to be looking at cost only. Yeah, good point. All right, so point five. And we're going to talk about work and the edges on where the work is done and where the value is created. So on one edge we have, as an entrepreneur, says, I incur costs for all the value created in my business model. That's one edge, I incur costs. The other edge is all the value created in my business model is created for free by external parties. 
So those are very radical edges because I don't really believe that you can have a business model that all the value created is for free in essence. I just people try. They do, don't they? Yeah. So example would be, and so if you've ever thought about reaching out to me and say, Hey John, I've got this, I'm I'm putting together this, this course and I'm going to have a different person teaching that course for a different lesson every week. And I was wondering if, if you would uh, participate and teach one of those lessons and uh, not going to pay you anything, but you're going to get seen. You're going to get exposure. Like, well, what are you getting? Oh, it's $500 per, per sale. Like, so you do close to nothing. You bring in a bunch of people for exposure and uh, don't have to pay anybody anything. That's a sweet deal if you can get it to work. I ain't, I'm not down for it, though. Yeah, we do get that request a lot. And, and sharing, the, what's the cost of that? Sharing your database. Sharing. Yeah. Yeah, and then I want you to email your, your list and let them know right. about it. Yeah, that's wow. brilliant. Mm-mm. So uh, I think, you know, there's a midpoint between these two of, you know, create a lot of value and then create a community where the, the people help each other. That's not free at, at all, because I think there's a lot of work that's being that's done to creating communities that collaborate and want to help each other. So, yeah, when leaning toward all the value is is created by others for free. Nah, that's. You, you got to pay for it. You got to pay for the efforts that it takes to create value for people. You just do. All right. Six of seven. Scalability. Growing my business model requires substantial resources and effort as one edge, or my business model has virtually no limits to growth. I know that you talk about scalability, and scalability is really in the eye of the entrepreneur or the beholder. John, let's scale this to 20,000 PHC members. Yeah. Why do you sound like that? Well, uh, there are lots of hidden costs with trying to do that. I mean, <laughs> first of all, you're going to need more staff to, to manage all those people. Second of all, um, trying to get that many people would mean and, and as we know with Facebook ads if you're getting a certain amount of results at $50 per day you're not going to get the same results by multiplying that by 100 you're going to you have a whole lot more wasted spend in there um, and when you're so focused on that number I think you're going to have some issues with okay well how are you bringing them in are you going to have a bunch of sale prices or, or what I can end up having lower quality people in there too. It's watering it down. Um, so basically, the lots I, for what we do, um, skate, we can't just bring in twenty thousand people and have the same costs um, because it, it's just so. I mean, I think I think no matter what, you're going to have a lot of customer potential customer you know, uh, customer service type of issues that you're going to run into. Um, 
a lot of expenses there. Probably, it means you have to spend a lot more on advertising to bring all those people in, building your email list and whatever marketing that you do to bring those people in in the first place. You can't just snap your fingers and say, bring in 20,000 people. Yeah, and the point that, that I'm that's coming clear to me from listening to you is that scaling comes at a cost no matter what. It is going to be either a cost to your pocket, a cost to your peace of mind, <laughs> a cost to creating higher complexity, because there is a ceiling that you reach where things just become way too complex and things start breaking down. Yeah. Customers start to experience things they've never experienced before in a bad way. So as you guys are thinking about your business model and thinking about what scalability is and isn't, just know the headaches that you're going to tolerate or the headaches that you are going to know that are ahead because there are going to be some headaches with scaling your business no matter what. Yeah, I mean, for whatever reason. Oh, you there? Hold on. Oh, you're back? <laughs> yeah, no, you, you're the one that died. It, it stopped for one second, so it didn't do anything. You're back. So for whatever yeah. reason, we have about 1,000 total members um, at any one time. So between PHC Entrepreneurs, PHC Elite, PHC Basic, and like the current month's uh, courses, course. Um, and why? I mean, it's kind of interesting. It's like, why is it? Is that because we can't get more people? Is it because this is like the perfect amount with how much we spend in terms of our costs? Um, sure, we could scale that and spend more and get more people, but yeah, at what cost? Yeah. All right, last question. There is this dragon out there, or this. A dragon? Dragon. The dragon's called the competitor. And a lot of people spend a lot of energy worrying about competition. And this isn't the question yet, but I do want your thoughts first on competition and where the competition stands in your head where now versus what it used to. Or, or did competition ever, does it ever cross your mind? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there was a time when I had these, you know, I, I wanted to be like the guy on Facebook ads and I was always concerned about what other people were doing and are they starting to get noticed more and, and this and that. Um, I don't care anymore, really at all, because I understand that what we've built is ideal uh, because it fits my lifestyle and my that happy medium of cost and and effort and and everything involved that we've talked about um i don't need to and i even talked to my son jj the other day i, I can't even remember how it came up but i think he's you know we were talking about how like i, I used to work in fantasy sports he's like yeah if you're still doing that you could be famous so I tell him like I, really, I don't want to be famous. It's like why don't you want to be famous? Like, he didn't understand it, 
Like it's just it's first of all you get more problems you, you deal with that kind of thing. But it's just that is not when you tick down uh, all of my desires and you know what I'm trying to accomplish. That's not anywhere on the list. I think especially these days. Uh, but uh, point point being is like I'm I'm focused on what I'm doing. Uh, there's room for lots of people to do what to do this kind of thing, and if they have success, great. I mean. It can come in a little bit like, oh, you know, they bought that person's course instead of my course or that person's membership instead of my membership or, you know, now since I don't do hardly any public speaking, you know, maybe now Social Media Examiner is not going to ask me to do Social Media Marketing World because there's this other up upcoming person who's overtaking me or whatever. Now, so be it. I mean, until we get to the point, which is entirely possible, where the business declines because I haven't been paying attention to those people, um, then I, you know, I worry about it, but um, I, I'm, I'm of the mindset that there's room for lots and lots of people, and I'm not going to waste lots of time and energy worrying about what everyone else is doing. Um, and also, I think that being focused on yourself makes whatever you do a little bit more pure, instead of being like, "Whoa, did you see what that person is doing? Are we supposed to be doing that? We should do that, right?" And I, you can't be chasing other people all the time. Yeah. And and to note, if we do run into that day where it was like, oh, how do we miss this? It's how we both missed this. So I missed it as well, not just you. So we'll both be sitting there like, what the heck happened? <laughs> but that uh, happen. that's not going to happen. Ah, look, if, if you were to look at any tea leaves right now, it's any concern about Facebook. And what's happening to Facebook? That you know, I may not be all that needed one day because no one's using Facebook anymore. You know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's why I've always kind of looked at the entrepreneurship model and looking at other things that are talking about baseball. Got to diversify a little bit just in case. I mean, we'd be fools to put all of our eggs in that Facebook basket, which is what we did in the beginning, and didn't diversify at all. Yeah. I agree. All right. So the real ed the edges, just to make sure we keep within the edges of these seven places we talked about today, the competition, one edge is my business model has no moats and I'm vulnerable to competition. And the other edge is my business model provides substantial moats that are hard to overcome. So your answer was like, eh, I don't have to create barriers to entry or make myself seem like the number one Facebook guide consultant in the world to keep people at distance because it just doesn't matter to you. Well, and I think the other thing we, you can talk about when you talk about moats is like, can people do what you do? Can people just steal your stuff? The answer is yeah. In, in both cases, I mean, people steal my stuff all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm done worrying about that. Um, the question is, can you continue to run a profitable business while people steal your stuff and knowing that, that others can do what you're capable of, do, of doing as well? And yeah, that's, that's your blog post. Alert, that's your <laughs> blog post. I love that as an idea because that is really powerful for you to say is can people steal your stuff and you still run a, a successful business model? Dude, you should write on that because that 
that that I think people are so afraid and they they don't want to help other people and they want to create new names and systems and all this stuff that's just made up that really isn't that unique and they you do it made, to say yeah you just what? made it you just made a name for it right you that's just made it. a this the and I almost almost said this guy's method and I'm not going to say it but there's a and you just put any three initials to anything and say the that that's the method and end of the day if you look at it it's like uh i gotta know that 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 and that all right that's it oh that secret sauce really isn't there you know so i like that i like that in our business model it is more about collaboration and helping people i know that in the people that we've served, they've gone on to be their own consultants, their own speakers. They're just as talented. I mean, we've got guys on our team right now that are amazing and guys and girls on our team that are amazing. And it, if they go on and we've had people leave as well to go do their own thing. And that's the beauty of our business model is that you support that. You don't make people sign in and say you can't take this proprietary thing from us or anything like that it's like no you you i always feel like people who work together are volunteering to work together and they have an open door policy they can leave whenever they want and they can stay out as long as they want that's the same thing with our membership model that's what we should do that's what we do with our membership model the same way so for those that are listening in your business model think of your employees no different than the customers that you want to work with. And that's it. That's our seven. Word. We got a worksheet for this? We don't, but I am going to design one because I think that we should have a worksheet on, I'm going to call it my business model. And that's, that's what we'll create the worksheet on and call it my business model. And it's for those people that are trying to understand the business model they're designing so that they have a sustainable business. Does that sound like a good worksheet? Sounds like a good worksheet. All right, cool. I'll have that created this afternoon. All right, man. Well, we went a little long today, but uh, some of it was technical reasons. John's fault. Uh, Someone's fault. I don't know. But uh, thanks, everyone, for your patience and for sticking around. Uh, I thought this was really valuable today, so I hope you got something out of it. Thanks, JR. And uh, until next time, do awesome things. We are out.